0: I can already tell you who this is. The one laying down like a chicken, that's Dimension. Um, and this is this is the image of Dump shooting me right in the brain and me going, I think there's somebody around us.
1: State of Survival Podcast, bringing you survival game news. Hello, everyone, and welcome into episode 13 of the State of Survival Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about World Builders in DayZ. Before we go into these details too, too much, let's go ahead and check in on our staff. Jarl, how you been doing, bud?
0: I've been doing good. I'm blowing the dust off my YouTube channel and preparing to dump a whole bunch of playthroughs of Star Trek Resurgence and Fallout 4 onto the channel. So it's going to be exciting to get that back up and going. Tomorrow we've got Dungeons and Dragons. I'm super excited to get back into that thursday we have our sos podcast game so it'll be fun to see what that's going to be friday of course more fallout chat versus streamer and this weekend we've got some fallout 2d20 aurora saturday mornings but uh so far i've just been dealing with life of not having a car because i'm waiting for it to get fixed and juggling that which has been stressful
1: Nice, very nice, very nice. Now, Red, how about yourself? What's been going on in your neck of the woods?
2: Uh, in my nape of the neck, i um, been busy working on mods, kind of finished up a pretty big mod cycle with the uh, helicopters and got a few things cooking with the boats, and then I'm doing a big commission job for somebody with uh, upgrading some vehicles. So that's that's a lot of fun. Nice,
1: very, very nice. Well folks, as far as my world goes, I was finally able to tackle a very much needed update in my Leather Crafting mod. I'll be publishing a update tomorrow to my Leather Crafting and Tanning mod with a cool little video I made to showcase the update and all the cool things put into it. Thanks to Red for helping me troubleshoot and um, help me so I didn't smash my brain against a brick wall too hard this time. <laughs> In other new f- news, folks, I took my dog to the vet, and he is healthy, happy, and still as annoying as f at the dog. i um, at the <laughs> vet. I have never had a dog be so obnoxious, but I still love him, and apparently, so do the vets. I think, or is it because I'm paying him? I'm not sure, but whatever. Um, but I actually wanted to get onto some other news. Now, this isn't a uh, person that we are announcing as being part of our staff but rather a appreciation for people who choose to help us and to become part of our normal streams. You know folks, Dimension 119 has been part of almost every one of our Thursday live streams. And not only has he been part of them, he's actively engaged in them, helping us with the goals and things that we're trying to accomplish, whether it's trying to figure out what we're going to be doing for the next episode or helping us figure out some stuff doing research or even himself just stumbling through the things and of um, letting us laugh at him, so we can
0: better understand the game. Honestly, he's been a newbie. He's been a guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest; yeah. we've just kind of tested things on him.
2: <laughs> yep. We had a, last week's uh, stream. Uh, we had a lot of fun. There was the the one scene I just I keep chuckling about where uh, uh, we were all four on what had turned into a, a really almost like a deathmatch PVP server. And uh, we were running around, all four of us together. And we decided that uh, Dimension and I were going to knife fight. And uh, the other two uh, yuckles were trying to give us instructions. Referees, thank
0: you. Referees. Yuckles.
2: <laughs> trying to give us instructions. And you stand here and you stand there. We're going to count to three. No, we're going to count to five. And Dimension and I are just going, what are we doing? Dudes. And eventually, the other two started fighting. So we just stood there and went, well... Let's just let them fight and then we'll kill off who loses and we'll just chop up the money. And then it wasn't it turns a fight. Out it was an
0: operational disagreement.
2: Yep. And they both they they traded and both killed each other simultaneously. So we just took their money and moved on with our lives. It was hilarious.
1: Oh, man, it, it well, definitely was. But going back to Dimension and his overall attitude, he shows a level of professionalism on our streams where he is there to actually engage and to actually forward what we're doing. And we also are constantly happy to have him there and to shout him out. But we're going to go one step further. From now on, in all of our future episodes, he will be listed down in our description, even if he doesn't play with us on Thursdays. And on our YouTube channel, will be listed as a suggested channel to go and check out. Thank you very much, Dimension 119. We are very happy to have you, and we hope to see folks more like you come over and help us expand and be better as a podcast.
0: And you know what? You could be Uh, part of the family.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. (laughs) The attitude is run. Yes, the attitude is run, Dimension 119. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But let's go ahead and get to the meat and potatoes of today's episode, which is Daisy World Builders. Now, you might be asking, what is a Daisy World Builder? It is my fancy name for map makers for Daisy. Because I think we're all in greens on the team, most people who make maps for Daisy don't just make a map. They make so much more. They do the economy, they do the balancing, they do the buildings, they do the modeling, they do the texturing. There is so much in the map making that barely scrapes the surface of what we actually understand of it from a most common player perspective. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. The worlds that are given to us, uh, a new drive to once again pick up our bags, dust off our weapons, and once again dominate a new world in DayZ. But before we really dive into the world builders of DayZ, let's go ahead and talk about our live stream which unfortunately was supposed to be about exploration, but it (laughs) failed quite sporadically as we poorly chose a server to explore a
0: map on. (laughs) Listen, okay, you said PvP, you showed me the map, I thought this is going to be beautiful. I was not expecting the ham-hocked, butchered uh, Hunger Games experience that it was. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And folks, to let you know, we chose to play on a Chimsney map. And we were expecting a place to go and play where, like, it was kind of like more Vanilla Daisy, or as some would call it, organic uh, RP. Where if you want to RP, you can RP, but is always on the table. What we ran into was Raid Knight on that server. And the server's already geared to be a high PvP server from the get-go. Oh my gosh, Jarl, what was your like initial impression loading in? Because I got my view of it, but
0: you tell me. My initial impression when I saw the nuclear crater and when I saw the world, I thought, look how vibrant, look how beautiful. Look at all the beautiful landscapes and the rolling plains of grass. And I actually had loaded in earlier with Dimension to get his settings all set up so we were ready, and I took one look around, I'm like, there's no grass. Why am I wearing Squid Game's clothes? Is this Halo Snipers? Everybody has sniper rifles. What is going on here? But then I logged out, and I'm like, "Mm, I'll wait for the guys. It seems all right.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. I think I logged in with Red, and I think the first words out of my mouth were, I don't like this.
0: (laughs) Right? It's so funny. I had to keep from laughing on my stream, because when I first logged in with Dimension, I was like, what were they thinking? What are these crates sitting out here in this? I feel like I'm playing Half-Life Deathmatch. No, I don't mean Half-Life 2 Deathmatch. I mean the the Doom dumbed-down map version of it. And I'm like, you know what? I trust Red, and I trust Dump implicitly.
1: Oh, man. And, you know, it was just a crazy experience overall. Like you said, it felt like we were playing the Squid Games. We were immediately... Just, damn. Uh, It was was interesting overall. Now, we actually did have quite a bit of fun on it, though, folks. Now, the only reason why we were a little bit, I would say, disappointed was because we didn't think we were going to be playing on that kind of a server. But we actually did enjoy ourselves quite a bit. So, one of the funny things about the server is they obviously rebalanced guns, because
0: we had some interesting shots that we had in Yarl. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, you brought up the point about rebalancing guns. It was just high-tier everything everywhere you went. I felt like I was playing Warzone. Like, every gun you picked up wasn't just a gun. It was like the Mega of guns. But then they didn't even kill on a headshot. No, it didn't... (laughs) I don't know. Oh, I don't oh know look at that picture we have on our screen right now. I wonder who's that handsome striking fellow there taking cover. Um, I can already tell you <laughs> who this is. The one laying down like a chicken, that's Dimension. Um, and this is this is the image of Dump shooting me right in the brain and me going, I think there's somebody around us.
1: And for gore, disclosures, and everything else, folks, I had to admit the beautiful uh, photo of the blood spraying from Jarl's little polished head, uh, unfortunately. No, uh, folks, I literally put a 50 cal thing through Jarl, and he just kept walking. We actually think uh, we have a running joke with that, don't we, Jarl? What protected you?
0: Oh, uh, it was actually the reflection from the sun and the radiation that kind of emitted, uh, shining off my head. It confused the bullet.
1: Yeah, definitely. It had nothing to do with the goggles on your face.
0: No, no. Mm. Uh, three thirty T says it was a great example how, for daisies, uh servers, can swing from no full nut and twig survival to fast-paced PvP. Yes and we definitely noticed that was the whole point of the server because as you can see in the image displayed on the screen there's no grass in fact three quarters of the map was completely inaccessible and they were the coolest things that kim Z had to offer
1: yeah it, it was it was crazy because like i'm not sure if our producer can pull up the previous image but we got an image here that actually shows you the area that we can play in area we can play in is all of that clear non-striped area and for you folks um that aren't watching and are on audio in the lower left hand corner i would say probably about i don't know maybe 10 kilometers of a 180 from the very left corner of the map it was two kilometers
0: by it was two kilometers by two kilometers that's all we got oh okay (laughs) Way way smaller. Smaller.
1: <laughs> so the map itself I believe uh I'm, I'm gonna say it right because I got schooled and chat about that from gumpy it's called kimsey they say it right uh <laughs> but uh I think it's like a 10 kilometer by 10 kilometer map
0: Originally, uh, yeah
1: means that we didn't get to explore a lot folks so we would like it would like to hear folks have you explored the map of kimsey and tell us what you guys think about it uh, the map's been around for a little while, and it would be kind of cool to hear about it. But let's go ahead and get back to uh, the balance and the PvP fun we had. So there I am, aiming my scope at Jarl. And I didn't know it was them, by the way. This was actually kind of an interesting encounter. So I pop a bullet off at Yarl. Yarl takes the bullet like a champ, because of course he can. Uh, Dimension, and I believe, what was the other guy's name? Tommy. Tommy. Yeah, yeah. Tommy, like, literally group up together, like, oh no, we're being shot at, and I just start popping bullets off at him, and I think I take down the team to about half health before chasing Jarl behind a uh, cargo container, right, Yarl? And then me and you were playing peekaboo with each other. We were, the so there was we a
0: cargo, co- yeah, there was a cargo container between us, I'm like, flank them, guys, I got them! And you and I had gotten to the point it was so laughably comical that at one point I stopped shooting you and I was like, oh, oh, oh you were close. Oh, oh, you missed oh again. Oh, my
1: gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, it was a very laughable and there was a lot of humor into the situation. Um, I have to honestly say I made a mistake. I'm not very good at PvP, though. And I rushed Jarl. And I was, as I was rushing Jarl, Jarl was all like. I just went down. But it was a lot of fun. Listening to Jarl, Tommy, and Dimensions comps after we had our fight was not necessarily hilarious. But I actually was rooting for them to survive half the time. Because I hadn't joined their team because it was only three people max per group. And, you know, I think, Jarl, you guys had a heck of a fun time. Is there any other fun times you can think of?
0: Well, first off, it kind of caught Dimension and I off guard because the first half of the game, we're like, all right, there's nothing here. The server's dead. And then we heard you and Red go, one behind me? What? I'm down? I'm dead? Dump's like, yeah, me too. Restart? One, one on top of me? And Dimension and I are like, there's not even any butterflies or creatures or where's all the zombies? Uh, and then we found the airfield. And I'm like, I think I see somebody. Let's stay down low. And then as we're running low, Dimension just sees me a plume of blood, and I'm dead. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, that was sudden. And then we got a little bit of taste of what Dump and Red were going to. And it finally got to a point to where we ran into each other after about an hour of playing, and all of us had been so exhausted from the constant PvP. We just awkwardly stared at each other and were like, so do you guys want guns (laughs) who wants money and and we had our epic we were trying to get dimension and red to earn their grain we wanted them to fight for our entertainment
1: and it was good it was good it was a barrel full of laughs and even though we failed in our main purpose for joining the server let's go ahead and see if we can make lemon i mean lemonade out of the lemons that we had i honestly think the server while it was definitely not what we were aiming for or wanting to play on for this episode in particular, it did kind of give a fun and, I would say, almost enjoyable break from us constantly always using our Thursday live streams to push forward our knowledge of our episode. And I actually don't think it took away from our knowledge. If anything, Mm. I think I kind of learned a little bit about the terrain and some of the forests of it even in that small area that we were in. What about you, yards?
0: Even with that, like you talked about making, you know, lemonade out of lemons. We tasted the lemonade and went, mmm, it needs something more. And I've, I've been thinking about this. I would 100% return to a server like that again if there were shotguns, rifles, and sniper rifles. If they oh, mixed up the arms a little bit, I think it would be more fun, maybe throwing some grenades. And also, stop with the weird cyberpunk 2077 crazy clothing. Just give us clothing with reflectors on it, fine. But being hot pink running across the field, uh, it was a disadvantage, or it was bright white clothes. But I like the idea of the server. But the one thing they took away for performance was the grass. If I could have that same experience with grass so that I could hide and a variety of weapons. I probably play that server once a month, easy.
1: Yeah, and you know it's kind of actually funny that they took away grass. And obviously, they may not know this, but grass is a texture. It's not a model, which means that, and it's a, it's a like a, I think it's a 128 texture by the way, too, folks. So all that grass gone actually doesn't do anything for, for, for performance. Now, we don't know the real reason why they took it away, but if they took it away for, for performance, it actually doesn't do anything.
0: Oh, I know exactly just, why they took it away. I've played a lot of sniper maps on these games, especially ARMA maps, and it's so you cannot hide. It's so that nowhere you go is safe. It's so that even across the map, they can see you running in between the trees. So there's no, uh-huh. you know, accidental, like, Ooh. a group just passed by you and you guys missed each other. Everyone is out in the open. Um, because, it, like you said, it's, it's just a texture. It's not hurting the performance at all.
1: Yeah, you're right. And you know, it re- and, uh, reversing it, like you're saying right here, it also hinders scopes because the texture's in your way. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Very cool. Very cool. Overall, I think I enjoyed the server, uh, even though it wasn't what we wanted. But a lot of fun times during that server. As we have here on a picture, this is the fight that Red described in our staff introductions, where we were fighting each other, and me and Jarl, using knives, traded deaths with knives only. It was
0: It was so funny how it all started, because you're like, okay, on the count of three, you guys are going to kill each other. One, two, and I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is it one, two, three, go, or is it go on three? And then Dump just slowly turned at me because we had just corralled Red and Dimension into the two spots. We had to explain the finer details of the fight. (laughs) You stand on this, rock. You stand on this, on go. You guys go at each other. And then I wanted one little explanation, and Dump lost his temper and just slowly panned over to me whipped out his knife. I didn't even need an invitation. My knife was out. I was like, all right, bring it. We each had the prize money in our pockets. So we just went at it. Intense fight using all of our years of daisy zombie defense to our, it was neck and neck. And then sure enough, that last blow, we're like, I could just hear in my head, Ave Marie. We both dropped down dead and Dimension Red are like, you want to just take the money? Yeah, I'll take Dump's money. You take, yeah, sure. And then they took our money.
1: Definitely, definitely. You know, this is all real good. And the live stream was amazing. We had good uh, crew. We had Tommy there. We had Dimension 119. Red Falcon joined us, uh, even though we had to leave a little bit early, which is more than a welcome. And, folks, we did all of this while me and Yara were literally baking inside of the rooms that we scream out of because I think it was, like, oh, 93 that? degrees in my
0: room. It was. Yeah, we live very close to one another, so we were both suffering the same thing, and I had to end it three hours. I'm like, guys, I cannot. My air conditioner is going <laughs> It was oh, it was brutal. Man. But,
1: speaking about hot things, let's go to our hot takes, guys. Yeah. Okay, folks. Now, normally we would start with Red Falcon, but he doesn't got none this week. Nope. (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and jump right over to Yarl instead. Yarl, what's up?
0: Big news. Starting at the beginning of the month, going on until July 31st, my good friends at Toplitz Productions are currently having a closed beta for Medieval Dynasty Co-op. Now, it was announced on April 20th, and we knew it was coming this year because of previous roadmaps. But what we've learned since then has both shocked and amazed. I've always been apprehensive about co-op in the game because, quite honestly, the map is too small and there's just not enough to do. It wouldn't be a challenge. It would be easy mode. But, as it turns out, we're actually getting a map called the Oxbow. And the Oxbow map starts off with a very beautifully uh, wooden palisaded town, like a, a fortified town. Um, and, of course, that one's called Piastovia. That's where all the players will be able to meet, get everything they need to do, get their quests and stuff, and decide if they want to build their town together or build it separately. But the beautiful thing about the game is the little nuances they're thinking of. For example, The people in the co-op game, and I imagine this update will translate to the single player version of the game later, will do menial tasks, including hanging up their clothes, cutting grass outside their place. You will actually see your settlers doing stuff instead of just standing there or sitting on a bench. So they're really testing the depths of the game. And we just had a recent announcement that they are in fact unlocking female playable characters. So the women who enjoy the game can join the co-op server as a female. My question to chat: if you've ever seen Medieval Dynasty, this is going to be huge for survival games. It's going to be big, and Oxbow is not going to be the only map they release. How are they going to get around the mechanics of the Medieval Dynasty engine by having you play as a woman? It's something that a lot of people are theory crafting online, and I could not be more excited because it means this fall, we're definitely getting co-op. And then later after that, craftable weapons, armor, and your own Dynastic Crest. It's going to be a blast.
1: That was very awesome. Man. Very awesome. So the NPCs eventually are going to be all like, I serve the giant hand in the sky to, uh, you <laughs> know, <laughs> that's a little Warcraft um, 3 reference, folks, if you don't know. If you click on your peons enough, they literally say, I serve the giant hand in the sky. They literally look up at you.
0: Stop poking <laughs> <laughs> me! <laughs> <laughs> walk, walk, walk.
1: What? Um, but overall, to my amazing awesomeness hot take, uh, I don't know what is a survival game, or some people may say it's survival ish, is Life is Feudal Your Own. Now, there has been, unfortunately, a recent, some company bought the rights to Life is Feudal. It was trying to bring the MMO back. But Life is Feudal Your Own is its own separate branch of it, it cannot be touched. This game is quite a fun and amazing game. You wash up on the shore, and the intro of this game is epic, folks. You have the legendary Sean Bean narrate the intro of this, and it is just awesome. What's even funnier about this is it's Sean Bean, so you dying in it kind of makes sense a lot.
0: I was just about to say, Sean Bean's narrator, no wonder why the game died. (laughs) You bastard. I do love Life is Feetal Your Own, and I think more people should give it a try. Especially since when you go to make a mine, it's not just as simple as going over to a node and digging. My experiences was that you actually had to dig a tunnel, you had to dig your mine into the ground, you had to reinforce it. It's very slow-paced compared to other survival games, and I think that's what turns people off. But it's also a game that if you have a community playing a legit village community and you can designate tasks once the economy starts working with the players instead of against players the game is so enjoyable
1: yeah y'all yarl's totally right this game was built from the ground up to be played with other people the game literally makes it so with the default settings you needed at least i think three people and you would all be mediocre at most things think five or six people and you're okay and then like eight people you're a thriving community um but it was a lot of fun and y'all talks about finding ore in this survival game because you have to eat you have to uh drink but one of the cool things about the ore survival stuff was that you had to actually use what was called prospecting now it actually kind of used real life prospecting in this grid so you would literally stand in the grid. Uh, I think it, it, uh, the grid was uh, like two meters by two meters, right? And you would search on the ground. It would tell you if you found traces of ore, strong sense of ore, or whatever. And you would literally would have to follow the trail of remnants of ore to a certain area. And the, sh- better, the more ore you found, the stronger the source was. Then you had to figure out, how do I dig down to it? Because it was a bubble of search area, and you could increase the radius or decrease the radius of the grid, so you literally sometimes would have almost like a rat maze trying to find that iron or silver or gold, and even copper, um, and all the resources yeah. Just because you broke
0: ground doesn't mean that you found it. You had to still yeah. look for it.
1: And one of the best parts about this game is all the resources were finite. If you did not repl- <laughs> replant trees, wouldn't have more trees growing and so on and so on. It had seasons, it had everything. It's one of my most favorite games to play, and unfortunately, it just isn't very popular anymore. But it has a thriving Russian community. It's actually even made mods for the Euro version, which is pretty cool. But that's my hot take for now. Let's go ahead and talk about our main subject for Daisy. So, DayZ map Mapmakers, or, as I'm trying to coin world builders. Now I kind of pointed out in the very beginning that daisy map makers aren't just people who create terrain and then other people go and do this. Now this is possible when a group of modders have joined together and have decided to take on certain tasks to div- divvy up the labor as you would say. But most map makers do most of the work themselves. This is from creating the terrain, to making the economy, custom assets, or even placing and rotating trees. There is so much effort that goes into actually making maps. And it's interesting because you don't actually have to make a real world location map, or you don't have to make a fantasy map. But all these maps require a lot of effort to even make it. Even if you were, and I was told this by DOJ, one of the people who is a well-respected map maker and overall person in our modding community who was able to and proudly find a job working for Daisy themselves, told me that if you wanted to make even a very lousy, kind of half-butt map, it might take you upward of 2 to about 4 plus hours to even get the basic terrain generated. And that's just basic terrain. That's not grass, that's not trees, that's not buildings, that's nothing. That is literally just a empty... Think of debug, folks. You know the border of all the maps that you ever play on? How it goes on forever? That's kind of what you would make. And that's it. That's after about two plus hours or more of effort. But, there are a lot of crazy things when we talk about maps. So we have Shinaris, we have Lavoni. we have um, Banov, Deer Isle... And so many other ones like Bitterroot, Banning. And whether we like it or not, Daisy maps are here and they are part of the game. Daryl, what do you think of a custom of a Daisy map when you look at it? Like, what are something that you wish to see or that you wish to believe in?
0: Well, with Daisy, there's one thing that comes to mind. I do not want the map to be designed to be like Blood Gulch and Halo. I do not want to see an asymmetrical map that is geared towards only PvP. The fact of the matter is, it's a survival game. I want to get away from the city, go out into the woods, harvest what I need to survive, and only come to the city when I need supplies. I know that the Infected and Daisy are not zombies, but I've always treated it like a zombie game, and I guarantee you... Like The Walking Dead, I would not be sitting in Atlanta trying to thrive. I would go out into the wilderness. So wilderness is key. And when you have wilderness, I want wilderness immersion. I want to see canyons that lead to dead ends. I want to see streams that have a logical flow. That's what I want to see. It doesn't have to be based in a real world location, but it's got to make sense. I've joined a lot of maps where it's like swamp on one side, snow on the other, and then a forest on... No, to keep it consistent with your region. That's what I look for.
1: Now, one of the things I often hear in the community is that people get bored of maps. So this is kind of a more of a question, and maybe let's see what our answers pop, pop up with is what do you think about the concept of Daisy maps and why do they matter? Why do people like official maps or custom maps? What do you think are the true things that bring people on, not just yourself?
0: Absolutely, and in my opinion, whenever you're going to think about, oh, why doesn't this person make a map? Why doesn't this person do that? I'm gonna give you my advice from somebody who's messed with Fallout creation engine as well as the Skyrim creation engine. It doesn't take long to throw together a Fallout map. But if you want all the debris, if you want to create that feeling that you are in a Fallout location, you are talking about dozens, if not hundreds of hours of work to make it feel natural. And with DayZ, you have to imagine these maps have to be created, the loot economy has to be planned, Structures and cities have to have some sort of rhyme and reason. And also, you have to think about the infected, where they are, the difficulties of the map, the beasts that you'll find on the map, the nodes of resources and food. And that's kind of why I support Dumps calling it world builders. I would imagine, and I haven't made a Daisy map, but if I were going to, I would want to have it game ready with the ability to be modded to be catered to your to- tastes. But it should be able to be played vanilla with everything that makes the Daisy experience the Daisy experience.
1: No, that's really good. When I think about the concept of Daisy maps, I think of I think of kind of like how Shinaris is. Shinaris is a finely polished gem, and I don't care if you say that it's not. I totally disagree. It's been almost... Tw- Yeah, 10 years in the making. A little bit beyond that actually because it came from Arma. And Shinaris has so many layers of depth. Even as a very well-versed and experienced player on Shinaris, I still love going to certain locations. I still enjoy the points of interest. Uh, Military Base is one of my most favorite locations to go. That hill that looks over those large fields. In fact, it's close to Northwest Airfield. There are so many cool things about just official maps itself. But when I think about a concept of a daisy map, I think of a map that allows me to play how I want to play. And Shinaris, whether you like it or not, actually gives you that kind of control. Like Jarl said, you know, you're not going to be sticking around inside of the towns and the cities all the time, but you're also not going to always be out in the wilderness. Maybe one day you find out, you destroy your favorite hunting jacket. Well, you're not a world-class tailor, so you can't make them again, so you gotta go back to the city. And that's kind of the cool thing about uh, some of these map concepts, is that they thought about it and built it in such a way that they wanted the map to be versatile for the player, not just serve- necessarily the server owner or for only one play style, but for all play styles. And I actually enjoy that.
0: You know, on, on the note of Chinaris, I, I, one of my favorite things that happened, and it actually happened on New Dawn. Uh, dumpcraw had a good laugh at me for a while. I was running away from enemy players, and I was running towards the north eastern side of the map, looking behind me, and I had fallen down some rocks. There is a location on Chinaris where you could fall through this rocky opening down into a grotto where there's trees and this beautiful life thriving, because rain and sun can still get down there, but there is no way to get out of that cave. So I just sat there until I starved, because I didn't have guns. I didn't have, I had no weapons. But I loved that. It felt realistic. I just fell down this hole. There was a beautiful tree. They took all the effort to make this beautiful spot, and no, it was on the northeastern coast. Um, and I sat there thinking to myself, you know what? This is beautiful. Some level designer went in here and made all the trouble to make this look like a small little oasis for nature and nature alone. I felt like I was seeing something that mortal men should not witness as I sat there and withered away and became part of the earth to feed the lonely tree.
1: Oh, man. That was actually hilarious. Yeah, I, I actually remember I that ticket. <laughs> no, I, I remember that ticket. I remember, because in New Dawn, folks, we had a you-got-yourself-into-it-you-can-get-yourself-out rule. So when Jarl fell down there, he already knew we weren't going to come and help him. Uh, because our, now this isn't part of the natural train of Shannar's, by the way. We had a friend named Bandit89, Bandit a person on our staff, make those caves. He made he made seven caves around Shinaris, and players only ever found six of them, by the way. There was a seventh cave that nobody ever found. It was, it was actually a joke we had running in the staff chat. Um, but Yarl found the death cave. And it literally was... I loved it! It had, it had a platform protruding out, and we literally made the joke that people would literally throw people down there to starve to death or whatever. Um, and Jarl did that. Now, this was before Broken Legs were officially back in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Jarl was definitely messed up. Um,
0: felt like I felt was Spartan kicked in the movie 300, but I did it myself. I was just like, oh
1: <laughs> That does bring up another good point. Let's talk about map details. What do we look for in a map? Let's start with official maps. What do we think they did right or wrong? Lavonia and Shinaris are official maps.
0: Well, I'll tell you what I think they did wrong. And the one thing that I think they did wrong is I think that there's always a story to be told. But I think a lot of times when people make maps for survival games, you'll find a car that is broken down. Clearly a husk of a car, not something that you can fix up yourself. And you open the door and there's a pistol inside, but the car is in a place where it shouldn't be. There's no roads. It's just part of the scenery. There's a story to be told there, but what? And I know that the whole nature of DayZ is create your own story, but how cool would it be to find little tidbits of notes or to find a camp near the car that looks like somebody had tried to survive because they broke down? And those are the little pieces in Livonia and, and Shinars that I think are missing. It's when you find these isolated locations and you're like, what's the story here? I think they could have expanded on it a bit.
1: Definitely, definitely. Now, one of the things that I enjoy about official maps and I kind of state this before, so forgive me if I seem like I'm repeating myself, is they have over time made the maps better. But one of the things I do enjoy about the maps is they're still improving them. They haven't stopped. And what's cool about this is while many people may not celebrate the new small changes or may quickly forget about the changes they did, we got the ski lodge in update, I think, 1.11, 1.10, maybe 1.10 or 11. But it was almost kind of a meh moment for most people. But for someone like me, who has explored Shinaris from head to toe and knows pretty much everything about that, I'm still discovering new things, by the way. The ski lodge area was almost a breath of fresh air, because it kind of did something Jarl talked about. If you ever walk up to the ski lodge, on foot, without rushing, just walking, I know it sounds tedious, but definitely you should do it, it almost tells a story of panic, despair. You can see that the cars aren't all straightly aligned. You can see that they're busting into each other. You can actually even see a couple of cars are trying to off-road it. And they fail, or they turn over, or what have you. You see similar things like this over in the bon- um, Le- um, the L'apitino, uh evacuation mm. area. The south, very southern east of the map. And then over by Tizzy, the Tizzy Extract area, where you actually see what is very similar to the Ski Lodge, where people literally are like freaking out because something is happening. And it gives a very different vibe to how we normally see Day Z. Many people complain about official maps that official maps look like people literally just walked out of their homes and walked into the sea or gave up. There wasn't a lot of what you would call stress, other than, I think, Electro near Yarsk and a couple of places where military checkpoints were stationed. You don't see a lot of places where it looked like the world was coming to an end. Uh, But, that's the beauty of the vanilla maps, is that they left room to expand on. They didn't truly design a map that was, once they were done, they were done. They wanted the maps to become perfected over time to improve them. I could look at uh, a map, maps like from Call of Duty. These are good examples, actually. You ever seen Call of Duty revamp one of their deathmatch uh, death maps, Jarl, or a Conquest map from Battlefield?
0: Unfortunately.
1: They don't do a very good job.
0: not in Halo, too. No. I still prefer Blood Gulch. Get that coagulation shit in here. <laughs>
1: And that's going to happen with Daisy as well. People are still going to perform the originals, but we have seen time and time again companies revamp, redo, or remaster their old maps and they break the meta or they break the balance and the flow of the map. Now, these are deathmatch, PvP-based kind of games, but map design matters in so many ways other than just doing that. So it's very important for all of us to be aware of that kind of situation, and I love that kind of stuff. Um, but I just literally talked for about five minutes straight. Y'all,
0: please stop me from talking. There's a couple of things that people need to take into effect that I will say that the Daisy crowd does well. In Electro and Chernogorski, you will see roadblocks blocking the street that are built out of sandbags, road signs, and other debris and detritus. That's huge. That means that after the fall, there were still people trying to live and there were still vehicles in operation and the boat up in the northeastern side of the map crashed upon shore spilling its cargo. Why? Well, normally when cargo ships like that come aground, it's not because they too had the infection, it's because the lighthouses weren't in an operation and they didn't see the shore coming. So it's there's little things that show that this wasn't just an instantaneous thing. In Livonia, so many boats are just sitting alongside the river, untouched, which gives you an idea of how fast the infection must have hit. Little things. Military tents popped up in the middle of areas that weren't very, you know, conducive to an evacuation strategy, more like a control strategy. So it kind of tells the story of how you see these checkpoints, you see these military camps. They obviously weren't there for very long. There's little bits that you could pick up from the map. Um, and I think you should embrace the small things that you are able to acknowledge and recognize.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, and it's it's beautiful. And, you know, it's cool as talking about the kind of things that we admire when it comes to the official maps and everything else. But let's go ahead and talk about custom maps. Now, I actually don't play many custom maps, folks. And honestly, it's mainly because... They've left a bad taste in my mouth. It's not that the uh, mod author hasn't put a lot of love, effort, and energy into them. It's that I feel most custom maps, and if I offend you any uh, map creators, I do apologize my efforts are not meant to offend you. It's that I have felt the hype never lives up to what it's been given. And I feel that all the time for map makers. If anything, I actually shouldn't say a bad taste in my mouth. I almost feel sad for the map makers because I know what it means to have a community overhype what you have shown them, and then them be disappointed and tear you a new one because it's not what you actually, or not what they believed was going to happen. You see this with video games as well, but it hmm. happens to map makers or world builders. As I like to say all the time, and it's important for people to know this. But custom maps sometimes do it right. Deer Isle is a new type of map, a new type of terrain. It's a ager It's a island
0: map. <laughs> an archipelago. <laughs> ah, there you an go.
2: Archipelago,
0: archipelago, archipelago, ar- 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 pal- ar- pal- archipelago. I-, I hear Louisville might be on one of those, right?
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah.
1: Red's going to kill us. Um, but what's beautiful <laughs> about that, folks, is that it's a new type of terrain. It's not landlocked, but it also at the same time isn't 100% just one large island. And I actually enjoy that kind of a mix up. Jarl, what do you enjoy from custom maps or what don't you enjoy?
0: Well, the first things I enjoy, especially with Deer Isle, is it is an archipelago. And I think that it gives you the opportunity to explore different strategies to survival, which is very, very key. Um, I like Namalsk because it introduces a cold, frozen front. Not a fan of the Namalsk maps with portals and stuff like that. But it's still an interesting thing to play. But then there are maps that had such promise that were basically halted in their production because of how the community reacted with how they don't understand map creation. I think Esseker is one of those maps. Esseker, of course, when we got it, it was very clear it was in its early era. It wasn't even fully done. Like the play zone was not as big as Esseker was originally once supposed to be. But unfortunately, the community disappointment and backlash that came from it, I think pretty much turned Esseker into a dead project. So when you get something like Deer Isle and Mosk, and you see it, and it is as polished as it is, I think that's a big success for the map creators. And I love exploring different environments. That's why I would want to play different maps. If I wanted forest play, I'd play Livonia. If I wanted the long, expansive, you know, life after civilization, I'd play Trenaris. But then there's some times where maybe I want crocodiles. Maybe I want a zoo. Maybe I want a frozen tundra. And that's why I explore different maps.
1: Definitely, definitely, you know, and that's really interesting. Um, I actually do enjoy the freedom that custom maps can truly give to players. Uh, one of the things that uh, we should also talk about is what what uh, what do we think takes to make a custom place, region, location? Or daisy from the world builder was ever in time or money-wise. Like, so I'm actually gonna break this down into possible subsections. First, we're gonna to, going to take up um, on thing Goes, what is the difference between a person placing object versus being a world builder? What do you think about that, you are? What do you think is the difference between those two kind of people?
0: Well, you could place objects in a map, you can customize a map. I think that's very rudimentary like beginner knowledge and I'm not criticizing anybody who's proud of themselves for figuring that out. If you take a pre-existing Bethesda map and you add your own little neighborhood and you add the props and you do all of that, that's great, that's grand. But when you edit those same maps and you try to do some terrain gouging, when you do any kind of terraforming, any removal of pre-existing assets, there will be holes. There will be things in the map that are missing there will be performance issues there's a difference between just adding onto a pre-existing map that's already stable and then having to worry about polygon counts having to worry about burning in assets and by the way for those of you who have heard baked in assets before come from us a lot Uh, Baking is a method of post-processing or pre-processing that's performed on a map to guarantee performance so that it's easier to load up um, and that it can operate well in real time. So certain maps that you hear the term baked in, it means that that building is not just a a model you can remove. It's it's part of the map, Um, and that is an integral part of any kind of level design. Simply adding objects to a map, enhancing it, changing it to be more like your feel of how a map should be added, that's fun. But in certain maps, you can't just take assets away and slap them in like that. I think Essaker is a good example. In the swamp area, there's a bunch of buses that are lined up with plywood on top that are essential to get from one location to the other. You can't just remove those assets and have the map perform as expected because those are baked in.
1: Oh, definitely. Oh,
2: we have a falcon. I was just going to jump in here. Um, I think one of the things is is scale. So talking about uh, somebody just placing objects versus a, a world builder. Um, you can place a few objects. You can place a lot. I've seen some uh, in DayZ, some pretty amazing stuff done that where somebody was just using DayZ Editor and placing objects. But essentially, they are very creatively doing icing on a cake. So they can do a lot of things, but in the end, the cake is still round. It's still only three layers. Um, you know, There's only so much you can do with it. Um, one thing I found about those limitations was I was going to try to add some um, additional assets to the Pakistan Plus map. And I wanted to build like a new village or military area. And when I looked around the map, there was not any land that was conducive to just being able to plot more buildings on it there wasn't anything that was really flat you'd have to end up with a bunch of really hideous clipping or things like that mm-hmm. whereas if you were a true world builder and could manipulate the terrain you could create that whole thing I know dump is' really working that hard to make world builder a thing so we'll see if it uh we'll see if it takes off but that oh, yeah. that's kind of my take is uh You know, it's just, you can do a lot of incredible things just by placing objects, but there is a limit. And sometimes you have to sacrifice some jankiness uh, to get what you want. Whereas if you're really doing world building, um, you can make everything just the way you see it in your head.
0: Yeah,
1: and you both have amazing points on all of this. And honestly, you know, like, Yarl uh, and Red said, "I think they really drove home essentially everything I was going to mention myself." So I actually don't have anything to add to this. So we're just going to move on to the next thing. <laughs> so we're going to talk about what kind of tools do ma- um, do world builders actually use to make Daisy maps? Well, you'd be actually kind of surprised that the tools that are given by Daisy or Bohemia Interactive itself are very old. And very broken down. Now it is no secret that the tools that were developed for uh, BI for developing Arma Armor 2 and Arma 3 were developed by a third party company. So they're able to update them, maintain them, and they have expanded upon them. But some of the tools have fallen into further disarray. One of the things I was surprised to learn about from DOJ, um, from his time as a modder and a part of our community as a modder, was that the Arma 3's bulldozer is not the same as the DayZ bulldozer. Even though they technically use the same map making process and everything else in that regard, they don't have the same features. So, if you're ever out there looking and wanting to build your own world, you actually should make sure that the information you're getting is not from Arma 3, it's for DayZ. Which, as we all know, if you're a modder, that often occurs quite more often than we think about the information we use to mod. Um, into finding out that there is a more relevant and updated version that we don't have access to, which means that all that research doesn't really matter, mean much. But it is interesting. What other kind of tools do you think they use in house, Yarl?
0: I have no idea. I've never taken a plunge into making Daisy Maps at all.
1: What about you, Red?
0: That's actually
2: a, that's a red line that I'm not really going to cross. So
1: uh,
2: placing a few objects hither and yon, that sort of thing, uh, that's one thing. But I am just, mainly for the time and effort commitment, uh, I am not gonna, willing to go down that road.
1: Definitely. Now, one of the things I do want to mention, folks, is Bulldozer, while, yes, there are many horror stories out there, also is quite an interesting and useful tool. It is the only tool you can use to actually properly make and create daisy terrain. There is a creator out there that has YouTube channel uh, stuff out there called Big Grandpa, and he actually covers how to do basic map making, to terrain placement, to building using satellite maps and all that kind of stuff. Which actually brings us to the next question, which is what party tools do what third party tools do we think map makers could utilize in helping with the process of making real life locations or other kind of situations so we all know that daisy uses satellite maps and the satellite maps are broken into sectors and they can use those sectors to create a texture or terrain overlay but what if i actually told you that the terrain itself actually uses the height map from those satellites, the satellite maps, to help and aid map makers into creating the terrain. Now, it's not as easy as downloading a satellite map and uploading it to Bulldozer and waiting a couple hours for it to compile, but it does actually make it easier for you to actually create a more realistic-looking terrain. Isn't that pretty cool, y'all?
0: That is. And one thing that I got to say from my understanding of just level design in general, because I've done a lot of level design, especially in school, just not really with DayZ, is I know a lot of people don't understand how old the engine is and in the scopes of software. Let's not forget that Unreal 2, Unreal Engine 2, uh, released in 2001, Unreal Engine 3 released in 2007. Unreal Engine 4 was 2014. And Unreal 5 was technically 2022, but most people didn't get their hands on it until 2023. That lifespan is pretty typical when you see level designers. So when you talk about how a lot of people are struggling with the age of the Unreal level editor, I can kind of understand why, you know, it's an old beast. You got to know how to use it. You got to spend a lot more time on it. Because my scope of level design and understanding of it is, I'm thinking about using a 12 year old engine, thinking to myself, wow, I could not imagine having to go back and manually do techniques that nowadays level designers kind of take for granted that it's automatic.
1: No, that, that's definitely true. And there are other things like, you know, they use like third party tools for helping them. Uh, get proper modeling using third-party tools for helping them generate or create uh, actual domestic or native kind of trees to the situations. And that's a very important thing. Uh, One of the things that I would have to say is important is the devil's in the details when it comes to map creation. And I think that's something that we've iterated over and over again in our past past conversation so far. But... Let's go ahead and get down to the nitty-gritty of this. Folks, Yara, what would you say, what would it cost for you to pay someone in Daisy to make a map? What do you think you would offer someone to make a map for you?
0: Well, I think the first thing I'd ask is, what is their time worth to them? You know, if it's a single guy, and this is all he does, and this is what he does for fun, and it's a passionate hobby, and he has no responsibilities, I would expect to pay a lot less than somebody who is professionally acclaimed has a lot of projects under their belt who has a family who has other responsibilities that will interfere because anytime you ask a map maker to make a map they're taking their precious time their free time to dedicate it to your project so it kind of varies from person to person but if i were having a map the size of Trinar's made i would expect to pay probably seven thousand for it and that's that's just throwing an estimate out there based on what level designers are actually paid.
1: Okay, definitely. Red, let's go ahead and see if you can take a crack at this.
0: I would
2: probably multiply that by 10 at a minimum. Depending on okay. if it's depending on if you have if asset creation is included or is all of the kind of uh, essential components are already taken care of and it's just creating the terrain and placing the stuff on the on the map but if you start oh. getting into asset creation that's stuff's going to go up record. i'm just thinking about the total number of hours like that's just going to be a, a a incredible amount of time and effort so yeah it would i would go times 10 and expect it to be probably closer to 100 to be honest
1: i uh, read actually amazingly enough i did talk to a map creator and i asked them If they were to do a map, and these are the specifications I gave them, I wanted a map that was 7.5 by 7.5 kilometers, that used vanilla assets, I wanted mostly forests with three large cities and about 15 15 to 20 hamlets to small towns, and I wanted each one of those large cities to have high level detail, and I want the uh, small towns to hamlets to have anywhere between a low to almost no detail level, and I wanted to be placed in the uh, south, um, the Brazil or South America continent. He told me that it would take him about a year and a half, and I said, "Oh, that was when uh, with you working like after work and everything else." He's like, "No, that's if I solely dedicated myself to working on that. It would take me almost a year and a half to do that," because he was talking about going crazy and doing all the things that we want to see from a highly level polished map and I asked him would that include any custom assets and he said well you said the vanilla assets but I probably would honestly convince you to mix in uh, you know custom assets with the vanilla assets so maybe you know have like some areas where maybe the people that were living over there were uh, more of this kind of region from like you know Shinaris. so they built these kind of houses and more of that style. But a lot of the stuff would be custom. Because and it was interesting him telling me about this. So I did the math. In where I live, the minimum wage is sixteen dollars an hour. Or sixteen fifty actually. So it actually ended up being really close to what Red said. It was almost over uh you know a hundred thousand to do so if they worked day and night to try to get it finished. And it was really interesting to hear about this because he said that they don't just make—they tre- don't just replace trees. They have to make custom trees, boulders. They have to do the grass, the satellite maps. There's so much effort that goes into it. And this is for a professional map, by the way. For him to do it actual for a living, he would do this much effort into it. Now he said if he was a hobbyist, maybe you know 20 to 30,000 for a very basic kind of map, and then it would just go up from there. So you can imagine that the amount of time and effort. That most map makers and daisy put into this, even if it's a hobby for them, is astronomical compared to some other kind of situations.
0: And uh, trying to trying to make sure, even I get this honestly, short even even uh, even compared to professional world, like like I said, their their software is constantly updated. They've got things like, especially with the Unreal Engine, you can just go grab assets. They have rock generators and tree generators. And it sounds like Daisy, you have to make a lot of that by hand, so it's a completely different kind of experience.
1: No, yeah. so it definitely is. It definitely is. And you know, I actually wanted to talk about why I think this was such an important subject before we continue on to area map makers or world builders, as I like to call them. I think are lumped in with modders in general. However, folks, I don't believe that world builders should be lumped in with modders. I believe world building, or as y'all calls it, level design, map making, whatever you want to call it, is actually side by side with modders themselves. The way I see it, is you have Daisy up here, and then below it, you have your content creators over here: streamers, video makers, uh, thumbnail designers—you name it—all that people. Then you have your modders, people like me, who make. You know, additions to the game, Red Falcon with his helicopters, all that kind of stuff. And then over here, as a third tier, you have your world builders. And then beneath that, you have all of the other subsections. But I truly believe that map makers or world builders truly deserve more recognition than they actually get most times. And it's an interesting subject, the reason why we have this entire episode just about map makers in general. And it's because folks, they do amazing work. And even if the work isn't fully polished, remember, don't always ride the hype wave. Give them chances to improve and to offer proper objective criticisms so they can keep making it better. But let's go ahead and listen to what the community had to say about our map makers or world builders. So we asked our community, what do people think of world builders and what have they created? Now, this was an interesting question, and we did get some responses. Some of the responses actually came from our own Discord. One of them was from 330T, and he says, "Dear Isle is a tr- my truly favorite. It is an adventure. Uh, it has adventure clues to unlock, but for survival experience on a small, fast map, nothing beats Malakart or Melkart." I'm probably butchering that one. Then, we, I, you know what? I butcher name, folks. I'm so sorry. Oh, man. Hey,
0: Is it an Plagio map? I, I don't know.
1: But who's that? Wait, I'm at. Gonna... Where's Dave? Isn't
0: that so,
2: Earl? So I went looking for Dave, and he wasn't in any of his normal haunts. So normal I did have Dave. to. Yep, so I had to pull in Earl.
1: Oh,
0: man. Earl I guess is the gonna dependable to... one. Yeah, Earl is. Maybe we're going to yeah, have to I, a... I got your back, Earl.
1: Thank Earl, you. Earl, I appreciate you being here, but we're going to probably have to ask uh, Dave's uh, Bertha to come in. Uh, she's a little bit more crude than he is, but I think she will do good eventually. We'll have to see next time. But.
0: Dave needs to get a new job.
1: <laughs> yeah, we welcomed Dimension in and we got rid of Dave.
0: <laughs> well, I'll take Earl over Dimension. <laughs> oh, man, it's horrible. <laughs>
1: Alright. Um, but then we had another one in our personal Discord from Tweaks. Uh, Namask is my fave. The hardcore survival aspect with the lore and cool events, surviving the cold and waiting out blizzards by fire, and thawing out food makes it fun and interesting. I love the, the Aesthetics of the map and the overall feel. (laughs) Ha, I almost messed that up, folks. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh let's let's go ahead and pop over to our Twitter to make sure that uh we can get anything else over there. Or actually, my apologies, folks, X. Yeah, while uh, you're pulling
2: that up while you're pulling that up, since you brought up tweaks, I just wanted to to give give that young man a shout out because uh... He's done some great uh, retexturing work over the years and then uh, recently, I think he took a little hiatus and then came back and he came back uh, with a vengeance. So he's got a really awesome series of YouTube tutorials on uh, doing texturing, doing weapons, doing all kinds of uh, uh, asset modding in DAISY. So if you're kind of aspiring to do that, definitely go check out his, his videos on, on the YouTubes.
1: Definitely, definitely. We will make sure folks to put his link down in the description so you guys can go check him out. Also, uh, folks, um, we also have links in the description to some actual level design and world building tutorials that the legendary DOJ actually suggested people check out if they're interested in getting into world building. But overall, I think this has been a great and amazing episode. I am so happy that we were able to sit down and actually talk about map map building and world building itself. Now folks, there is so much we did not cover. There is so 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 much we did not cover. However, it is quite difficult to cover in one episode. So, we may be revisiting this topic again after I learn more and more information about this because I believe that there is so much more we need to discuss and enjoy about the world builders that we have in
0: Z. What's up next week, girl? Next week, we are going to be discussing some upcoming titles in 2023. Some you've heard of, some you haven't. But we are going to make sure that we post all of that information on our Discord to give you the heads up. So tune in then. See you folks. Have a wonderful day. Well, folks, thank
1: you very much for watching our video and this podcast episode. Please like and subscribe, and it definitely helps us when you do. Please remember that you can also comment down below, and who knows, maybe we'll read or talk about your comment in our next episodes. Folks, I also want you to make sure to thank our staff members, being Yarla Goats and Red Falcon. Yarla Goats streams on Twitch quite regularly, and Red Falcon is responsible for the Red Falcon Heli mods on the Daisy Workshop on PC. We were happy to have you folks here, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.